This is the recording made in the chapter of the opened book and is number nine of the series entitled Access at Acceptance. It has been our joy to trace in Colossians chapter 1 from verse 12 where we give thanks to the Father which hath made us measure up to or meet for the inheritance of the saints in the light down to the final act, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. In the light, in his sight, holy, unblameable, unreprovable. When you say, well, that's the end of it, there's no more to be said. That is true from one aspect. But we start all over again now, friends. Because if you will allow the Apostle himself not me or somebody else, to remind you, will you glimpse at verse 28 of this self-same chapter? He's speaking about Christ. Whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Present. Well, if we're going to be presented, it says in the verse 22, present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now it says, I want to present you. And if you'll turn to the fourth chapter, you'll see there's somebody else on the same track, helping the apostle. Verse 12. Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you always labouring fervently for you in prayers, that he may stand, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Perfect and complete. He's praying for you. You could turn round to him and say, well, it says in the epistle to the Ephesians, ye are complete in him. What are you worrying about? But don't you see, it's one thing to be holy, unblameable, unreprovable in Christ. It's another thing for that to be the description of your corresponding walk in this life. We're not in any measure questioning or altering the fact that no no charge can be laid against God's elect so far as their acceptance in Christ is concerned. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. At the same time, We are reminded that every one of us shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we may have his commendation or his comment on our service, our walk and our witness. You see, we've got to be so careful we don't confuse the issues. One person stresses, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast and stops there. And another person reminds him, but we are saved unto good works. While we are not saved by our good works, somebody stresses salvation is not of works, and yet Philippians says work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work for it, but he says work it out. So we've got figures. Some figures are uh, using a tree which is rooted and grounded and then, 
the one who has rooted and grounded that tree comes along presently and looks for fruit. The root is there. The fruit may or may not be there. And so we have to take this a stage further this morning. That he who has made us acceptable or accepted in the beloved is now saying to us, well, won't you walk acceptably? Take another instance. We have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. What does the scripture say? Let us draw near. One thing, it's one thing to be made nigh in Christ. And another thing for you to stand upon that ground and draw near as a consequence. The passage we had read in 1 Corinthians is well known to us. They all pass through the Red Sea. They all partook of the, the water. They all, oh they did many things, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. Look at the striking example. Moses, a man honoured by God more than any other man in the Old Testament. He said to an ordinary prophet, I make myself known by a vision or a dream, but with Moses my servant is not so. To him will I speak as man to man, mouth to mouth, of the similitude of God shall he behold, so on. Yet Moses, because of his high position, forfeited the land of promise, and never went in. Joshua took the in. There's more to it than that, of course. Moses stands for law. And the best that the law could do would bring you to the edge of the river Jordan and stop there. It's only Joshua, whose name is Jesus in the New Testament, who goes through the river Jordan and takes you into the land of promise. But still, you see, there are two sides, as there so often is, to this question. There's no possibility of us earning our salvation or making ourselves clean, or making ourselves accepted. But when once we have that position in Christ, the Apostle says, well now, my preaching and Epaphras praying is that you may be presented or stand perfect. Well, if you say that's a difficult word, because how could you perfect this? Well, when you just get back to the Second uh, Corinthians, just to see his use of it there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath light as righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and so on, right the way down. Then in chapter 7, he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. We're not cleansing ourselves in the sense that we're making ourselves acceptable to God in the original sense. But surely there should be a thought, if I am absolutely spotless in the presence of God, should I go splashing about in all the mud of this world because it doesn't matter? So he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. It should have a reflex action. From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Well, you say, now that, that's, that's incomprehensible. Even Shakespeare has put his finger on it and says, 
You're talking as though you can uh, gild the lily or paint the rose. Oh no. We are only saying that that which is ours in Christ should be reflected of what is in, in our own, as it were, particular pathway. And so we had read to us in our scripture reading Psalm 91. You may know that Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 uh, so far as we know, were both written by Moses. Psalm 90, they spend their days, a years of the day that is told. They count their days and they won't live out because that refers to those who were 40 years old at upward who went into the wilderness and forfeited the land of promise. And they murmured and said, the children that we brought out are going to die. And God says, the very children that you've murmured about will outlive you. And so Psalm 91 says, you need not be afraid of the pestilence or the arrow that flies by noonday and so on, you see. So now we are facing another aspect of truth. They are both in the word of God and they balance each other. First of all, we are completely and forever accepted in Christ. Nothing can alter our righteous standing before God. And one day we shall be presented without spot in that holy presence. But then when it comes to our manner of life and our service, all oh, what differences there are there. Not one of us can say with regard to our service. It's, un, it's absolutely perfect. The very saying of it would mark us as ones who have very little discretion. That mustn't make us, as it were, cast down. It should only make us thankful that God stoops to use such earthen vessels. But on the other hand, it does say, although God uses earthen vessels, he says, be ye clean, ye that bear the service of the Lord. So, I want now to just enlarge upon this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man. Now, you don't warn anybody about the fact that you are righteous in Christ. There's no warning there. But warning every man, there are possibilities of slipping and danger. Warning every man. And teaching every man in all wisdom. Not preaching to him salvation, but teaching him. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That you may stand perfect and complete in Christ. As the prayer goes. Well, I think it's now saying, well, what do you mean by this word perfect? Well, that's proper, that's right. We should not use terms that have no meaning. As far as I can just give an idea about the English word perfect, it's made of two parts, per, which means generally through, like perspective, seeing through glass, and perspire, going through and so on. And uh, fit is the word fat. And what the Apostle is saying practically is, look, Make this standing which you have in Christ, which is sure simply by grace, make it into a living fact, if you can, or at least aim at it. If none of us can ever reach perfection in the fullest sense, it will be pleasing to God to think that we sought to do so, although we slip back many, many times. So, here is another aspect of truth. I think the next thing I ought to do is to ask you to become acquainted 
with the word that gives us the word perfect and its different varieties. I think you can stand it. The basic word of this is tele or telos and it means the end. 1 Corinthians 15.24 is the word telos. Oh, of course it comes many times. 1 Corinthians 15.24 Then cometh the end. The end. That's the end of time, the end of opportunity, the end of the ages and the resurrection and coming of Christ. So that's fairly straightforward. Now, Tenaios, that's uh, taken from it, we find in uh, oh, quite a number of passages. Let's turn to Telio, 2 Timothy 4 7. 2 Timothy 4 7. It's the Apostle speaking of himself. I have fought a good fight. This isn't salvation. This is service. I have finished my course. That's running. For the word is dromos, which exists today in the word hippodrome. Hippo being a horse, like hippopotamus is a river horse, and dromos is a, a course. So he says, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. In other words, as a runner, he's touched the tape. He's finished. So there we have the word teleo. Then we have the word I've, I mentioned just now in another form, Hebrews chapter 6. Teleoti. I'm not asking you to become Greek scholars. I'm only asking you to listen to the sound of the word which anybody can became conscious, and Hebrews says, chapter 6, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, which is a shocking translation in modern terms, because we are mourning the fact that so many teachers of preachers are actually leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That's because the word principles has in some measure changed its meaning. The literal translation is, Therefore, leaving the word of the beginning of Christ, <coughs> let us go on to perfection or the end. You see? It's contrasted with the beginning. It's going on to the end. And if you will glimpse at um, the preceding context, verse 13, chapter 5, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, see the time has slipped by, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You want the beginnings. And are become as such as a need of milk and not a strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That's a little word of warning to suddenly saying to somebody, here, will you take the Sunday school class and you don't know just where they are? If they are babes taking milk, there may be a danger to the others because they shall not perhaps minister the word as it should be. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are perfect. 
perfect. Full age. This is the same word coming up again. Doesn't mean to say they're perfect in our sense of the word, but they've grown up. And are able, uh, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the word of the beginning of Christ, let us go on unto the end. Not always standing and staying and emphasizing the first few fundamentals. Then we have in the Acts of the Apostles, or oh, while we've got Hebrews, let's look at chapter 12, verse 2. Supposing we read verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. So it's very obvious we have the race course in view again, not salvation. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking, not merely looking, but looking away from, looking away from all the examples in chapter 11, Abraham, Isaac, and all the others that are set forth there, looking away from all else unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the captain, as it comes in chapter 2, and the perfecter, finisher. So they've actually got the word finisher instead of the word perfecter, showing that they had in mind reaching the end of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured a cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well then, let's pursue this, because if you've got this in the back of your mind, you've got the gist of the matter. The Acts of the Apostles, 2024. The Acts of the Apostles, 2024. But none of these things move me, neither count I myself dear unto my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. That's what he hoped in the Acts. That's what he attained as according to 2 Timothy 2. And then, um, one more passage, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. And then I won't load you with any more, but I think if you have any interest in the inspired word of God, you'll realise that this is a group of words that does, that uh, will pay for very careful examination. 1 Peter 1.13 Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me just go over these words. You'll hear the word T-E-L coming in every case. And if you have a television, that's the word which has been brought into modern use. I don't mean to say that a television is perfect. As far as I know, some who've got them say they're just the opposite. But the real meaning of the word television means to see at a distance. At the end, you're at the end, you're seeing something that's far off. Just the same as telescope is to see a long way off. Or a telegram is to write something a long way off. Or a telephone is to hear something 
a long way off. We've got it, you see, it's with us. So here we have the apostle saying, I'm warning you, and I'm teaching you, that you may attain the end for which you have been saved. You see, salvation is a complete thing in itself. But God says, yes, but I saved you for something. And the preparation of that is going on now, in our walk, in our witness, in the fruit we bear, in the experiences we pass through, in the failures we make, they can all be overruled and blessed so that we may go on unto, as he says, perfection. So we are given you telaios, telos, telio, telites, telaio, telaios, and teliote. You can see they're all variants of the word T-E-L, which means distance, and some sort of idea of a long way off. Well, now we have many contrasts. But you would notice, if you will, coming back to Colossians, the parallels that there are in this, with regard to these two men. Colossians, chapter 1. The Apostle says... Whom we preach, warning every man. If you look a bit further down in chapter 2, verse 18, let no man beguile you. What of? Your salvation? No. Can't do it. But of your reward. Let no man beguile you of your reward. Look a bit earlier. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And then he says, after all that, verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you. Beware that anyone beguile you. So you see, while we're on our travelling <coughs> home, we are passing through enemy country. And the evil one cannot rob us of our acceptance in the beloved, but he can do a tremendous amount of harm in our daily walk and witness and fellowship with the Lord. So please don't go away and say, I've undone all that we have done by going through the passage in Colossians. It's based upon redemption, reconciliation, the blood of his cross, and can never be altered. If you are in this position, by grace you're there forever. Once in Christ, in Christ forever, Thus the eternal covenant stands, and then it goes on, none can pluck you, none can pluck you from the strength of, uh, from the strength, from the, who? From the strength of whatever the title of God was, I forget, like Emmanuel's hand, like that. There it is. So we've got these two, are they balanced, you see? They balance. And the word balance, is a scriptural term, although it's translated worthy. In Ephesians, you do, do know, and most of you do know, that the three chapters, one, two, and three, give us the revelation of our position, or as we might write across the top of it, doctrine. It doesn't tell you what you're to do, it tells you what God has purposed, and planned, and accomplished, and will do. And then, chapters four, five, and six, another three chapters, says, well now, walk worthy. Walk worthy. 
of this calling. Worthy is the putting in the balance what it is worth. Like that. The actual word is borrowed from the beam of a balance. Now don't be alarmed, friends. You won't discover that your beam of balance is perfectly horizontal. Not in this life. But it should be your prayer that it should get a little more horizontal as the days go by. (coughs) And you mustn't despair if it never does. Because there's not one of us, not even the Apostle Paul, who was so perfect as that. But it's encouraging to know that God will never forget even a cup of cold water given in the name of Christ. So we go on. Well, now we have this, um, uh, oh, the, one of the things which links these two passages is, we continue, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labour, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He said, oh, I'm doing it, friends, don't forget I know I'm an apostle. I know I have supernatural powers. But oh, he said, if you only knew the conflict that goes in my heart sometimes. He says, you remember I've already written to the Romans a little opening of that. Oh, he said, when I would do good evil is present with me. Oh, wretched man that I am. And then he ends up by saying, not he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's not what you might call an ordinary sequel, is it? But you see, he says, I'm not questioning my salvation. I'm not questioning my justification before God. I'm not saying there's a possibility I may be condemned, I never can. But oh, he said, for any one of us to say we've reached the end and touched the tape and we've reached perfection, is simply because we do not realise what perfection involves and what a righteous standing includes. And so we have here, he says, whereunto I also labour, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. A little earlier I quoted Philippians, work out your own salvation. Have you had a try at that? Well, don't, before you read the next verse. For it is God that worketh in you. To try to work it out without him is just to ask for misery. But to cooperate with the working of God through his spirit and his word is to slowly and totteringly, like a little baby, falling down so many times, but getting up again, learning how to walk. And one day, friends, we're going to stand in his presence, upright, and stagger no more. But here again, another thought. Verse 4. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have. This word conflict gives us our word to be agonizing. It was a real agony for him. For you and for them at Laodicea. Now when you look at chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ saluteth you, always labouring fervently, he is the same man, the same word, agonising, in prayers, 
that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath great zeal for you and for them that are in Laodicea. If the word Laodicea doesn't come in of any context to say to yourself, here, he said that before. Yes, and you go back and you're conscious why. God has arranged his word for us four slipshod readers. Laodicea, Laodicea. Paul warning and preaching that you may stand perfect. The other man praying that you may stand perfect. Let's thank God for the way he's written his word for us slipshod readers. Well now, we've got two or three words as I've suggested in this very passage. Let's look at them again. The warning words. He said, I warn you. Uh, verse, um, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, well, how have you received him? He's the gift of God. He's my saviour without anything that I can do to make my salvation possible, right? As you have re therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So walk ye in him. Still go on by faith and grace. As ye have therefore been rooted and built up in him, he combines together the two figures that he uses elsewhere. Rooted as a tree, built up as a building. And uh, if you were to say to him, well, you can't mix them up, he says, wait a minute, I know, but I'm using living stones, not merely granite and so on, so rooted and built up is all right. As you have been taught, oh, established in the faith, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then he says, now beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Now, true philosophy must be true, because it simply means the love of wisdom. But the scripture is nearly always pointing to the wisdom of this world which comes to naught, which never leads to Christ. And Christ is the wisdom of God. So beware of being spoiled. The word is a word taken from battle to rob a, a person of his armour, having stricken him down. Beware. Not only philosophy, but a vain, deceitful philosophy. Because it's not quite true to say, and a vain deceit. But it's a vain, deceitful philosophy that you've got to watch out for. After the tradition of men, just find out where it comes from and who said it. After the rudiments of the world, all those elementary things that people accept without question. And then the final test. And not after Christ. The simplest of us, the very babies among us, if we could only remember, is this in harmony with Christ? Yes or no? Oh, how many of life's problems would never have bothered us if we could have only have sat like little children and made that question and got the answer. And then he says, now don't think I'm robbing you of anything. Don't think I'm cheating you of anything. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Is there anything you can ever want that he cannot supply? And if he doesn't supply it, 
is the wisdom of God as well as the power of God. So there's a reason why. And then he goes on to say, and ye are complete in him. And the fellow worker with him prays that we may stand perfect and complete. He's not saying he's going to add to completion, that's impossible. But he says it is a, a point to realise your completeness and act in harmony with your completeness in him. This is a fullness indeed. And then further down, it says with regard, because he's up against a philosophic aspect of teaching, and he's up against the introduction of some of the elementary, rudimentary things of law that were creeping in, like in Galatians. And so he says, in verse, tre- uh, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, it looks as though principalities and powers stoop sometimes to mislead God's people, even with regard to these things. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Well, now, if that's been done, this is the answer. Let no man therefore judge you. Don't go about judging your brother, friend, and don't let him judge you. You stand in the presence of God and get the judgment there as far as it's humanly possible. Let no man therefore judge you with regard to meat or drink or respect of a holy day order the new moon, order the Sabbath days. Now, all these things are in the Old Testament scriptures, and you remember a man who broke the Sabbath day, God said, he must be stoned to death. What a change. Writing to the Romans, Paul, who knew that, said, one man observeth one day, he does it to the Lord. And a man doesn't observe any day, and he doesn't observe any of them, does it for the same spirit to the Lord. Oh, let's be careful we don't load some of our friends uh, with burdens which they never ought to bear now, for they've all been taken. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or to the new moon, or the Sabbath days. We're very glad to be here on this, in this chapel on Sunday morning. It's convenient. But there's no holiness about Sunday morning. If we had met any other morning, it wouldn't make any difference, not to us or to the Lord. And so he goes on, these are shadows. Shadows. The law having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of those things can never, you know how it goes on, take away sin, satisfy the conscience. So he says, we've done with shadow, which are the shadow of things to come. But the body, now this isn't referring to the church which is the body, it's the contrast of the shadow. The shadow has passed. The reality is here. And we are blessed and accepted in the reality. Now he says, you needn't put yourself under all these obligations as it comes further down, verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ. That's his answer. He never says, now turn over a new leaf and don't do, oh no, he says, 
How should you continue in sin if you've died to it? That's his answer to one problem. Here it is again. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments or the elements of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? And then he enumerates some. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men which have a show, indeed, of wisdom. Oh, another church may come along and say, well, you can't call yourself a church. You don't have ordinances. You haven't got a priest. I'm just going to say something here. Uh, have you noticed that I never say, the Lord bless you and keep you? For that's the word of a priest talking to his congregation. I say, the Lord bless us and keep us for I'm just the same as you are, exactly on the same footing. The only priesthood that we recognise is the one there, at the right hand of God, not down here. So he says, which things in, are indeed a show of wisdom, in will worship and humility, and neglecting of the body, or oh, you say, aren't they good people? But he says, you look what the consequence is. Not in any honour, to the satisfying of the flesh. They're satisfying the very flesh they're neglecting. Oh, what strange creatures we are, aren't we? If I've done anything at all to illuminate this thought, that we are perfectly accepted in the Beloved, let us just walk in the strength and the light of that truth and seek by grace to walk worthy.